years ago, the movie Hacksaw Ridge came out. Show of hands if you've seen this film, Hacksaw Ridge. Okay, good news for those of you who haven't watched it. I'll give you a great synopsis of it this morning, so you won't have to watch it anymore. But just a few years ago, this movie came out, and the world became familiar with the true story of an unlikely war hero named Desmond Doss. Now, following the attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941, the tragedy and the devastation compelled men from all over the country to enlist and join the fight. And among those men was a small and a scrawny young shipyard worker named Desmond Doss. The only problem was this. Desmond Doss was a Seventh-day Adventist and had made vows under strong religious convictions that he would never take another person's life, not in any circumstance. So he enlisted as a medic, and he refused to carry a weapon. So his battalion was sent across the Pacific to the island of Okinawa, where they were charged with a seemingly impossible mission to scale and conquer a 400-foot-high cliff known as Hacksaw Ridge. And it was heavily populated with fierce opposing armies. Now, after climbing to the top of this ridge, U.S. troops found themselves under overwhelming fire, and many soldiers were left severely wounded, while the remaining soldiers were forced to retreat back to the cliff and back down the ridge to safety. And all that remained on top of Hacksaw Ridge was the Japanese soldiers, several wounded Americans, and the brave unarmed medic named Desmond Doss. And as the American soldiers were regrouping and strategizing down at the bottom of the ridge, trying to figure out what their next move was, they looked up to a strange and a surreal sight. They saw a wounded soldier being lowered down the face of a cliff by a rope. And then they saw it again, and then again, and then again, and over and over and over again, these wounded men were being lowered down the face of Hacksaw Ridge, and on the other end of that rope was Desmond Doss. Desmond had made the decision to stay on hostile grounds, in danger's way, for hours upon hours, sneaking around enemy fire, searching for wounded soldiers so that he could then carry them back to the ridge and lower them down to safety with a rope. And by the end of the night, Desmond Doss is recorded to have rescued 75 wounded soldiers. A small, unarmed medic charging into the fiercest of battlefields to offer his life in service to those around him, a life lived selflessly for the sake of others. So as we continue our series on the seven wonders of God's word, today we will focus on the biblical principle of considering others first. Consider others first, putting others before ourselves. See, as Jesus followers, we are called to live lives that love and lift others. Now, this is hard, though, because we all have a natural tendency towards selfishness. We need to be self-aware of our selfish nature that we struggle with because of the curse of sin. Now, we know the Bible teaches us to love others, to lift others up. We remember the greatest commandment, 
When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he responded this way. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now this command is easy to quote, but difficult to follow. Because we battle the desire to elevate and promote self above other things. We deal with a natural bent towards selfishness. Within me is the desire to put me first. For me to be number one. To be first in line. We're born under the curse of sin and that makes us naturally selfish with our lives. Think about it. Those of you who are parents in the room, especially those of you who are uh, fresh into parenting with some young kids, it takes you years and years and years to teach a child how to share and to be generous with what they have. Now, did it take you long to teach them how to be selfish? No, I guarantee that it didn't. In fact, you didn't have to teach them at all. They were born that way, saying, me, mine, give it to me. We are born under the curse of sin, and we are naturally selfish. You don't have to teach selfishness to anybody. We're all born with this desire to please self first. And we live in a culture that feeds this mentality, that idolizes the progress and the building up of self first. Right? I need to do what's best for me. I need to get ahead by whatever means necessary. If that means tearing someone else down, that's just the way it is. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm climbing the ladder for me, and it's me who deserves to be at the top. Not in God's kingdom. Not in God's kingdom. We are called to be different. That's why we call the kingdom of God the upside-down kingdom. Because it takes our natural responses and it flips them upside down and offers us a new way to live, a new way to respond, a new way to behave. I love the way that Ben Stewart says it this way. He says, as Christ followers, we no longer take our cues from the culture. We take our cues from Christ. That's why in a me first world, we instead live with an others first mentality. My life is no longer most important. Rather, it's something that I'm leveraging, using for the benefit and the good of those around me. So the question I ask is no longer, how do I get ahead? It's how do I consider others first? So today we ask these questions. How do we shift towards an others first mentality? What does it look like to position your life to be lived for others First, well, we consider others first by looking to give sacrificially, not gain selfishly. We make sacrifices to put our own desires to the side and leverage our lives for the benefit and the gain of other people. We know that there is no greater expression of love than sacrifice. Right? Sacrifice says, I'm laying down something of value to me for the well-being and the best interest of somebody else. Sacrifice always involves laying down something value, valuable 
for something more valuable. Right? We know that Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, greater love has no one than this. And someone laid down his life for his friends. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for you? You may never be in harm's way. You may never uh, actually put yourself at risk of death to save a friend. But it might mean making other small sacrifices for the benefit of somebody that you love. Right? Laying down one's life in death is such an honorable thing. But so is laying down one's life not in death, but in a posture of service for the benefit and the best interest of other people. See, we recognize what a noble thing it is to die for the life of another, but we hesitate to live our lives for others. To offer my life as a sacrifice to you and say, whatever I need to lay down for your benefit, I'm going to do it. Right? Sacrifice is giving your life for others, but it's also living your life for others. Right? That's pure love, to give your life, but also to live your life. To say, I'm not going to consider myself first. I'm going to consider others first. So for you, it might be daily making sacrifices for the sake of your spouse, for the well-being of your marriage. I imagine there are parents in here who have heard the crying baby in the middle of the night, and you play dead. (laughs) There's some guilty faces in here this morning. Now, I don't have kids, but I do have a very needy puppy. And Candace and I have been in that boat before. He's whining and whimpering, and he's ready to get up to play. He wants to eat food all day long. And I'm going to lay as still as I can. But what if we considered others first, making those small little sacrifices for the well-being of somebody else? For you, it might be making those little sacrifices for your marriage, for the benefit of your spouse. It might be using your career platform to advance others instead of looking for self-promotion. Right? That's so countercultural today. But maybe that's what this sacrifice looks like for you. What would it look like for you to live your life sacrificially each day for the sake of others, leveraging your life to benefit somebody else? Jesus' followers are called to live lives that love and lift others. We consider others first. We also consider others first when we seek to make other people better. When we seek to make other people better. Now here's a quick test. A little self-evaluation for everybody in the room today. Be as honest as you can with yourself. Okay. When someone experiences five minutes of your presence, how do they feel? Now, be honest with yourself. How do they feel? Do they leave feeling drained and empty? Or are they walking away from you feeling encouraged, lifted, confident that somebody cares about them? Maybe think about it this way. When you borrow something from somebody, it's generally an assumed rule that you give it back to the person in no worse condition than how you received it. In YLC Youth Leadership Corps, we have the opportunity of uh, going around the state and we get to be hosted by different churches from all over the place. 
And the rule is that we leave the church spaces looking even better than they looked when we got there. Now, what if you started living in a way that leaves people in better condition than how you found them? What if you left people better than how you found them? Ensuring that they walked away in better condition, not worse, after your time together. Leave people better than how you found them. I love the way Josh Laxton says it. He says, our love and service should seek to enhance one's condition. In other words, those that God has placed around us, be it our spouse, our children, co-workers, employees, community, families, they should be better off as a result of our presence and service in their lives. I also love the way John Maxwell talks about this from a leadership perspective when he says the bottom line in leadership is not how far we can advance ourselves, but rather how far can we advance others. Your life is so much bigger than just your life. It is way bigger than that. Live your life to push others further, to advance others and to consider others first. We also consider others first when we prize people over our preferences. When we prize people over our preferences. What better example of this uh, kind of others first mentality than that of the Good Samaritan parable? This story is recorded in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, and we're going to read through it uh, briefly. But I challenge you this week, as you look to live in an others first mentality, go back, meditate on this story, read it, hide it in your heart, ask God to change you with it. It says, starting in verse 25, Behold, a a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is this neighbor that I need to love? And what this lawyer wanted to know here is who specifically is the neighbor I need to love. But what he wanted to know was who to love for his own sake. This was to make sure he was justified, that he was covering all of the right bases. His motive was self-gain, not to seek the well-being and the best interest of others. Sure, Jesus, I'll love others, but not if it costs me something. Who is it I absolutely need to love and who can I neglect and still get by? He still wanted to love within his preferences. That's not love at all. This was self-seeking, not seeking the benefit of another. He wanted to love within his own preferences with conditions and strings attached. But Jesus goes on to say there should be no boundaries to who you extend your love to. Continuing the story, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, 
as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend taking care of him, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus asks, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. True love, others first love, is sacrificial. It considers others first, even when it's costly and even when it's inconvenient. This parable reminds us that people take the priority, right? Considering others first means that people are more important than your positions. It's more important than you having power. It's more important than any of your preferences and your opinions. People are more important than any of the differences that we have and any of the excuses that you could make not to love them. You think it's hard to love your neighbor? That frustrating coworker? Maybe it's your spouse that you've been fighting with? You're right. It is hard. It takes work. See, we learn in that story, a Samaritan would have struggled to love a Jew even one who was wounded and injured. But it took seeing a person as a person and valuing that person over all of the things that didn't matter so much. When he saw this wounded Samaritan, he could have looked at all the reasons why he shouldn't love him. He could have stacked those differences up and said, no, I'd rather not deal with it. But he had compassion. The person mattered more than his preferences. See, the command to love others and to put others first, it doesn't stop or allow us any wiggle room just because that person is difficult. I love the way Jamin Roller says it this way. He says, the command to love my neighbor is not rooted in the loveliness of my neighbor. I just heard somebody whisper amen for the first time ever. Right, because it's hard and it's difficult and you're thinking about that person. Yes, they are difficult. Yes, it is hard. That person is frustrating. It's not easy to love them. Cool. Love them anyway. Do it anyway. This command to love them is not rooted in their loveliness or how pleasant they are. It doesn't matter. We are called to love them anyway. Don't let the little differences like political stances and opinions and other preferences of yours be the reason you neglect the call to love your neighbor. Choose to love people more than you love those things. Do people in your life know that they are loved even when the differences between the two of you are stacked high? Even if you shared so many differences, do they know that you care about them? See, I guarantee everyone in this room, you know when you've been around somebody who genu- like genuinely really, really cares about you. Right? You might be thinking of somebody right now that pops into your head. Somebody who genuinely cares about you and makes you feel loved. You know when you've been around that kind of person. That even if we don't look the same or think the same or walk the same way, I can tell that they love me. 
I can tell that they care and they see past those little things to love me. See, we all have the desire to be fully known and fully loved. But the problem we have is the more we know people, the more we have to make the decision to either attack them for those differences or love them as another image bearer. What choice are you going to make if we're going to be a vulnerable church community that allows ourselves to be fully known with each other? Do you use that as ammunition? Or do you look past it to see that we're so similar that we all need grace, that we're all image bearers of God with dignity and purpose? One of my favorite examples of this that I recently heard was of the theologian named uh, G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton, while deeply convicted about his beliefs and his faith, was so loved and cherished even by those who opposed him because he cared more about people than positions. He disagreed with people, but he carried himself with a grace, a desire to build relationships rather than just being right about things. Now, he left a deep and an impactful thumbprint on the Christian faith, but he never took himself so seriously. He was a warm person. He was pleasant to be around. And he cared more about people than he cared about his platform. Now, these uh, philosophers and these big thinkers of his day would ask him to come uh, debate him on a stage in the middle of a stadium in front of thousands and thousands of people. But his one condition was this. Yes, I'll come debate you in this packed out stadium, but afterwards I get to take you to the pub and we get to know each other a little bit better. No matter how this goes on stage, I'm taking you out to dinner and we are going to be friends. He wanted to befriend these people. Those who wanted to squash him because his worldviews were different, they were entranced by him. These people that he opposed fell in love with him. One person who debated against Chesterton once said this about the experience. And I don't have the quote to go on the screen, but seriously think about what this person is saying. This person who got on a stage to rip Chesterton apart, who hated his worldview, who got on stage to oppose him. Here's what he said about the experience afterwards. He said, to hear Chesterton's howl of joy, to see him double himself up in agony of laughter at my personal insults, to watch the effect of his sportsmanship on a shocked audience who were won to mirth by his intense quirks of joy was a sight and a sound for the gods. And I carried away from that room a respect and admiration for this tomboy among dictionaries, this philosophical Peter Pan, this kind and gentle creature, this profound student and wise master who has grown steadily ever since. It was monstrous, it was gigantic, it was amazing, it was deadly and delicious. And nothing like this has ever been done or will ever be seen, heard, or felt again. Wow. This was the person who opposed him. This was the person who got on a stage to rip him apart. He was entranced by the way that he loved people, the way that he considered people to be more valuable than his preferences or his opinions. What do people who hold different views than you say about you after they encounter you? 
Is it anything like this? Or do they feel drained and empty and attacked? So you should never be willing to sacrifice a relationship to win an argument. Right? The world doesn't need any more keyboard warriors jumping on Facebook to battle each other. It needs more prayer warriors who will cry out to God on behalf of one another. Never be willing to sacrifice relationships with people just to be right. It is not worth it. We consider others first. Please hear this today. People rarely need your brash opinions, but almost always need a warm and a soft place to land. Which do you offer to the people that you encounter? Is it harsh? Are you difficult to be around? Or are you a safe place where this person can feel loved? Right? This world is hard enough. We don't need to make it more difficult for our neighbors. We need to love them. We need to consider others first. Be that warm place for somebody else to land. Are you living a life that loves and lifts others? Considering others first. Now, lastly, we consider others first when we actually believe the gospel. That Jesus considered others first. This might be hard to hear, but there are people listening this morning who maybe have understood the gospel with their minds, who can articulate the gospel with their mouths, but who have never actually believed the gospel in their hearts. Do you struggle to love others? Do you struggle to have grace for others? Do you struggle to forgive others? Do you struggle to put others first? The problem might be that you've never really believed the gospel. That you were so loved when you didn't deserve it. That God lavished his grace on you when you had done nothing to earn it. That forgiveness is yours because Jesus was punished in your place. That Jesus lowered himself and put you before himself. I've heard it said that those who believe the gospel become like the gospel. Believing the gospel is what gives us a spirit of generosity that compels us to consider others first, to think about others before we think about ourselves. When you really believe the gospel, just how gracious and loving God is, you will become gracious and loving. Desire to consider others first. J.D. Greer says it this way. He says, recipients of great grace and great love become dispensers of great grace and great love. I was talking to Scott about this the other day, and he said the way he's heard it said is love embraced becomes love extended. When you've experienced the love and the grace of God, you will naturally pour it out on others. You want to consider others first? Well, believe the gospel that Jesus considered us first. We look to Jesus for the ultimate example of considering others before we consider ourselves. See, nobody in the universe can personify this kind of humility the way that Jesus did. Jesus stepped down from heaven, left his throne to come into this mess because he saw us in need of rescue from our sin. He humbly lowered himself to grant us the highest status. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, he said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition 
or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And your relationships with one another have the mindset as Jesus Christ did, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the Son of God, offered himself a sacrifice for our benefit, lowering himself to lift us up. The Bible tells us he came not to be served, but to serve, and he meant it. He dropped to the floor and washed the feet of sinners just before he was put on a cross for us. He took on our sin to make us clean, right? He wore that crown of thorns so that you could be made royalty in God's sight. He put others first. Just the other day, I was looking back. I started to ask myself, like, when is a time in my life that I've really seen somebody consider me first? Put me before themselves. And I had this flash of a memory that I haven't thought of in years. Like, I probably hadn't thought about it since it happened, but this, uh, this memory just kind of uh, surfaced up in my brain. Uh, when I was a kid through my elementary and middle school years, uh, my family on my dad's side, every two or three years, would rent out a beach house and we would do Christmas at the beach. Must be nice. I heard somebody say it, Phil. <laughs> but every few years, we would go to this beach house in Pensacola, and we would spend Christmas all together in this beach house. And I remember one specific time, I was probably in fifth grade or something like that, 10 years old or so. I remember we were out on the beach, and the weather got really, really crazy. Like The sun was shining, right? It's the sunshine state. But, but the wind was blowing. It was really cold, and the wind picked up to where it was blowing insanely hard. And we started to feel these uh, grains of sand that we were being lifted up, right? The wind started picking them up, and they were blowing into us and hitting our arms and hitting our faces and hitting our legs, and it hurt really, really bad. And I remember this just kind of moment of panic where it was like, dude, this is really uncomfortable, and we've got to walk to get back home. This is not fun. I remember my cousin, who was eight, eight years older than me, a lot bigger than me at the time, saying, hey, why don't you walk right here, and I'll just kind of serve as a shield for you. And we'll walk back up to the house, and you won't have to feel a thing. And I'll walk in your way, and you can just kind of walk in my shadow and reap the benefits of me taking this for you. And I started to think this is kind of a silly picture of, you know, it's maybe a silly analogy, but this is kind of a picture of what Christ has done on our behalf, right? My cousin decided to take the pain for me, and I got to walk in the benefits of that in his shadow, right? Jesus took on the agonizing pain of the cross, took all of my sins upon himself, and I simply get to walk in the benefits of what he has accomplished on my behalf. 
He put us first. Jesus put us first. He went to the cross in our place. That is the gospel. Jesus in my place. Jesus put us first. He stepped into our sin, became our sin, so that we could be made righteous. I ask you as we close this morning, what would need to change about your life for it to become a life that loves and lifts others? Considering others First, what if in our church, in our marriages, in our friend circles, we looked like people who were constantly looking to outserve each other, to put others first in all things, simply looking for ways to lay self to the side and consider the well-being and the, the best interests of somebody else? Think about this. Imagine what kind of apologetic love could be for us, that people looked at how much we loved each other, how much we desired to serve each other. And they said, there's got to be something to this thing called Christianity, because the way that they're behaving is different. I don't understand it. Why do they love each other so much? Why do they seek each other's benefit before their own? What an apologetic that kind of love could be for the world around us that's watching Maybe the first thing someone needs to see to believe in this other's first love of Jesus is for you to actually follow his footsteps and consider others first. Loving people in that way that makes no sense. I love the way that Francis Chan says this. He said, what if the church was filled with people who loved each other so much they were willing to go to the cross for one another? How could the world shrug their shoulders at that kind of love? Imagine if this church was made up of people who desired to see the well-being and the benefit of everyone else around them, and we loved each other so much we were willing to go to the cross for one another. How could the world look at that and be indifferent or apathetic? There's something special about this others-first mentality. We follow the footsteps of Christ who considered others first. So we consider others first when we give sacrificially. We consider others first when we seek to better others. And we consider others first when we believe the gospel, that Jesus considered others first, and we follow in his footsteps. As you follow Jesus, you should live a life that loves and lifts others. Consider others first, just like Jesus did. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. As we close things this morning, I just want you to spend a few honest minutes with yourself. Maybe asking God for the courage, the boldness, to put yourself and your preferences to the side and consider others first. We follow the footsteps of Christ who considered others first, who humbled himself for the sake of others. Now here we talked about that maybe the problem is that you've never really believed the gospel. Maybe you've heard it for years and years and years and you know it in your mind, 
You can articulate it, but your heart has yet to really embrace this gospel message. I want to make sure everyone listening today has an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to believe the gospel and follow Jesus with your life. If you've never said yes to following Jesus, you can do that this morning. You could call out to God today, praying from your heart to him something like this. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know because of my sin, I don't deserve you and I deserve hell. But I believe you considered others first. I believe in your son Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross for me. I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus. I'm making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of my life. I'm choosing to follow him. If you prayed that for the first time this morning, I'm just asking you to do this. Take your connection card, write on that card today, I chose Jesus. I'm choosing to follow Jesus. We'd love to connect with you. We'd love to talk a little bit more about what that means to make that decision. I challenge you as we move into the week Ask yourself, am I living a life that loves and lifts others? Am I considering others first? Maybe you need to preach the gospel to yourself every day when you get up and get out of bed to remind yourself, I didn't deserve love, but Jesus loved me anyway. I didn't deserve God's grace, but God poured it out on me anyway. Has his grace blown your mind lately? See, somebody in the room today, maybe all you can focus on is your sin. How stacked up your sin is, how great your sins are. But Romans 5.20 tells us, where sin abounded, God's grace abounded all the more. Maybe you need to turn your eyes this morning away from your sin and look at how much greater and how much bigger and how much deeper God's grace is for you. Do you struggle to consider others first? Preach the gospel to yourself. Remember that Jesus considered us first. He humbled himself. He became a servant. He lowered himself to lift us ask as you uh, move into this week to ask yourself each day, how can I consider others first? How can I live my life sacrificially? How can I love and lift others with my life?